Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. I am Kat Hart and today I will be talking to Emily Gascoigne on different options for career progression within the clinical farm work whilst remaining within the supportive team. Also discussing some of her experiences of farmer meetings and the importance of making it an experience rather than just a way to download knowledge. My name's Emily Gascoigne. I'm a farm animal vet working in practice with Synergy Farm Health in Dorset. Graduated from Cambridge in 2012 and began working at the practice as an intern in association with the Royal Veterinary College um, and went on to remain as an assistant. So that's interesting you took the internship. What do you think motivated you to do that at the time? It seems a long time ago now, but do you remember? <laughs> It is a really, it is a really long time ago, which is, I suppose that would, um, it's amazing how time flies. Actually, I've been a vet longer than I was a vet student past that tipping point. I think the new graduate opportunities have evolved a lot, perhaps since I was a new graduate and internships were not quite as common back then. For me, I knew I wanted to do farm only and I knew, for me, actually, I, I knew I didn't want to work in it research environment I I wanted to work in the field so for me I I wanted a post where I would get lots and lots of clinical exposure that was number one but that I also did want lots of support in practice particularly out of hours and I also knew that I wanted sort of academic nurturing I know in year one there's there's plenty enough to focus on but I still wanted pushing and for me an internship was kind of a guarantee a contractual way of of making sure that I I got that really and likewise working with a practice like Synergy that was the best way for a new grad or relatively new grad to to get in with a practice um, like that so it it sort of ticked a lot of boxes for me really Uh, conscious that there are lots of practices that will offer almost if not the same experience and support it was just just sort of packaged it really nicely for me as an intern so and it obviously worked quite well because you you're still there now. Yeah, um, I'm institutionalised. I've not I've not left, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in a supportive team. So yeah, it's great having that supportive team, and they've obviously allowed you to um, develop your own sort of areas of interest. And the one which I would like to talk about today is sort of the farmer education aspect. Obviously, a lot of your sort of clinical work now is more sheep orientated, which we'll talk about. But so many of those skills are transferable, whether you're educating sheep farmers or beef or dairy farmers. I thought it's still interesting to see your point of view there. So what do you think made you think that farmer education was such an important part of our jobs? I think probably the best place to start for me on my journey to farmer training is, was as a new grad. I first farmer meeting, I probably was 12 weeks out in practice, actually, and I probably got unceremoniously roped into it. It was a sheep farmer meeting. And actually, for me, one of the reasons I really wanted to be a farm vet was actually the people that we work with and the professional relationships we form. And actually, farmer meetings are captive audience of people that are interested in your subject. It's in a not, you know, it's not a high pressured environment, really. You know, it's not a life and death situation, but you're potentially talking about something really cool that you know a lot about, or if you don't actually need to know a lot about it, but maybe you've got some enthusiasm in that in that area and you just want to communicate that. And actually, it's sort of a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
because by definition, if people have come to your meeting as a new graduate, they're probably interested in the same thing. So it's actually quite, for me as a new graduate, it was really quite cathartic. I can appreciate if there might be some new grads that listen to that and think, crikey, she's mental. That would be, you know, really scary doing a meeting. Like, mate, you know, you need to know, you need to be on top of your game and know absolutely everything about whatever subject it is. But actually, no, it, to some extent, you just, you know, some of those presentations I did really early on were just, you need to know more about this on your farm. It was planting discussions and seeds and getting people to think about their own farms and, you know, trying not to give loads of farm specific advice and just the people coming to my meetings would leave with a question about their own premises. And I think actually not feeling the need to being a total walking encyclopedia about whatever subject actually was of great relief to me and really sort of made me really enjoy doing meetings. But then actually where it sort of went from there was I had been to lots of meetings before and I'm sure we can all relate to it, whether it's knowledge transfer, it's this, there's lots of information and you're in the audience and you need to, you know, the, the goal is moving information from one place to the next. That's not necessarily long lasting it's not very fun, actually, for either the deliverer or the audience. So I think one of the things that I started to do quite early on was think, well, well I'm gonna if I'm if I was a farmer and I'm gonna give up my evening or afternoon to come to that, it needs to be interesting and catch my imagination. And I think that encouraged me to be quite creative quite quickly with meetings. So really quickly, you know, I wasn't very long graduated when I was integrating pub quizzes into my meeting or benchmarking or you know things like I generated an excel calculator for it was lamb losses you could do it with anything you could do it with calf mortality it does not need to be complicated but then got some of my colleagues at the meeting with laptops and I'd get the farmers working together to do back of fag packet stuff and basically I just sort of approached it that I kind of want my farmers to leave and think oh we did something a bit different then that wasn't death by PowerPoint really so that's kind of where my it then became more of a I was less focused on me knowing lots of information and more how I could make it as fun as possible for the participants and when you shift into that mindset actually then it becomes really quite fun to do and I think that's how my journey into farmer meeting sort of began really. I think taking that pressure off that oh I've got a farmer meeting I need to prepare this massive in detailed PowerPoint um, takes a lot of the pressure off the vet leading the meeting as well. Um, I know one of the first sort of more discussion based meetings I led, it was actually really scary in that I'd done a few slides with sort of question leads on it, but no actual content. And that fear of, oh, well, what if nobody answers or what if nothing fruitful comes of it? But once you've done it once or twice, it's, it's amazing some of the different tangents that you can need, which you would never have written in your PowerPoints. Yeah. And equally, how much the farmers can learn from each other, it can really, I think, motivate them to change a lot quicker than us just sort of listing yeah. these are some of the things you can do. They can see it in real life and see what other farmers are doing. I think when you start off doing meetings, having the security of a, of a real structure like a PowerPoint, is there's real merit in that. And I think I would challenge new grads to integrate that into something else, which makes it fun. But I think as you do building confidence and your own clinical expertise expands, 
then actually, you're totally right, some of the most formative meetings, really, that I've participated in have been where my role has been to facilitate the discussion and where actually my role is to correct inaccuracies, to keep conversation flowing and to bring out the best in the audience because they know the best practice because that's what we talk about when we do flock or herd health planning and just to create this really fertile space, if you will. So yeah, they, it's once you get your foot on the ladder, you can really start building those positive, those juices get flowing. No, that's really good. A bit more, I guess, into the nuts and bolts of meetings and what your thoughts are. Do you think that there's sort of a set day or time of day that farmer meetings seem to work well, whether that's afternoons or evenings, or do you think different groups prefer different things? I think you have to judge your client Um, the topic so for example dairy clients I think you have to consider milking times the variation in that and actually just what somebody's day would have to look like to get to your meeting really I think for my sheep guys as an example evening meetings actually work quite well because can get all the stuff done settle down to an evening meeting but then what if you want to throw a farm walk element into it or something that's really practical I think the bottom line is you probably There's not a one size fits all. But I think if you've asked the question, the audience I need to get to that meeting, what is does their day look like? And what am I going what are they going to have to do in order to just attend my meeting? And is that realistically doable? Um, And I think that's a really important place to start. There's, There's only so much you can control, but just things like if you can roughly guesstimate when everyone's going to go silage in, like just dodge that. Or for us, organising a meeting when maize is getting harvested. Like if you like cake, you'll be eating a lot of it yourself. I think you can be, but you can't plan for everything and you'll never get it right. But you can be sensible about when you book things for. Yeah, so that planning sort of throughout the year you just touched on there. How do you have sort of set groups that know each other quite well and how regularly do they meet or is it just whoever's interested in this topic can come along? So one of the things that I did really early in growing sheep business here at the practice, but it applies to other species and sectors as well, is one of the things that I learned really early on, probably even at one of those first one or two meetings, is it's really important to bring similar people together because it narrows and streamlines the message that you give. And sheep are probably a really nice example of this. If I have, I've got sheep farmer clients that have got 4,000 ewes. And if I have them sat in a room with somebody with 40 or 20 or five, there's a totally different, irrespective of years of experience, there's a totally different mindset scale there the hours in the day just look totally different. And if you're not careful, your message is not targeted. It's not relevant. And you're trying to be a jack of all trades and you're actually a master of none. So one of the things that I did really early on was tailor as much as you can. So for us, we have specific smallholder meetings where the dialogue is going to be a bit different. It's going to be about fitting in your sheep flock around your full-time job and the fact that, you know, what those jobs are going to look like. It's going to be perhaps talking about to people who are less experienced um, and for whom the priorities are maybe slightly different. My thousand new flocks and up, their challenges are different. They're talking about 
labor they're talking about scale they're talking about standard operating procedures and actually they'll get the most from being together and i think it improves the credibility of of each so keep everybody separate we then have in the middle um we'll have commercial sheet flop meetings which are kind of open to everybody but i'll actively dissuade our smallholders to going to that and if they choose to go to that they know that the terms are that it's it's commercial flop meeting it's a commercial space so that can help. And I think even with dairy or beef suckler, you can you can continue to do that. It's got to the stage now where at the practice, we've got our large flock group, an organic group, um, our smallholders, although that's run slightly separately. And actually, well, the thing that we're in progress with now is a store lamb finishing group because they're totally different. And those guys will go you know, to talk about chlamydial abortion management and use. It's just irrelevant. So clustering flocks together. Now, in terms of how frequently those need to meet, I think it's got to be a balance between making sure everybody's getting something out of it, what is practical, and also you've got to think ultimately as a service provider, you know, what are your key messages over the 12 months and, and what level of contact are you going to, to deliver with those? So, for example, our store lamb discussion group, you know, realistically, probably a really strategic meeting once a year for, for those guys. Bearing in mind, they'll all be buying in, in sort of one sort of tranche. I appreciate it's a bit different with beefies, but that's going to be really well timed. Whereas my large flock group will meet more regularly than that. And it's all also got to balance in with you and your workload as well. But just a key point that I think is really relevant. I think it is really important as a practice. It is a strategic and conscious decision as with regards to charging for meetings. It's really, really important because I'm a bit of a meeting-holic, but there are hours of work that go into producing a meeting, not only from me, but my support staff. And effectively... Um, my meetings, when delivered, are shared consultancy, really. I, I think it, we do have to think in those terms. So although it's not farm specific, we are training and adding value. Now, it may be that for your practice, it's not the model that you want to go down for charging for those meetings. But I think it's it's really important that, therefore, you're using these as a, as a way of, of engaging the clients that you're working with, whether that's promoting what you can offer to their business, which is hopefully mutually beneficial, or signposting something else that's coming up in your practice, like other services, like training courses and things. But um, I think that's really important. If you want to charge for your meetings, you should. It's really valid. There's probably thousands of pounds that have gone into developing your meeting, whether there's soft support but sponsorship or otherwise. And I think it's really important that we're not just giving away everything. And I think farmers that really value you and, and, and the business, the mutual value will have no issues, have no issues in paying for it. Yeah, no, it's surprising how much work goes into some of these meetings, even when you've moved away from the sort of PowerPoint thing, but even the background sort of contacting everyone, as you said, making them quite tailored so we really hit the people that we want to and encouraging them to come you know we all have the set people that will come to any meeting when you offer them sort of a free drink or a free food in the past and um, bringing on now to obviously COVID in the last year how has your um, meetings changed and how have you moved on to Zoom or how have you dealt with it? It's been a real challenge and I suspect everyone in the audience can relate um Priority is keeping everyone safe, but 
likewise, I think one of the hidden things about our meetings that we maybe don't take at face value is actually getting people together and the merit in that and, and some of those discussions. And it's really important to keep people together. So quite early on, we embarked on Zoom meetings. If there's anyone in your practice who has technological expertise, bribe them, whatever it takes to get them involved. Because when you deliver a meeting, you need to focus on the message. So I think that's, um, I've got a David and he's he's really precious. So um, you find your David in your practice. So it's a worthy time investment. But we did some meetings and again, uh, true to true to form, I hate death by PowerPoint. So the first meeting our sheep team did last year, we were a bit clever with Zoom rooms and we had stations, which meant that you moved, we divided everybody between these rooms and bunny hopped them round. And so, you know, there were only snapshots of 15 minutes. Um, it is technologically possible if you've got somebody that's, you know, in a position to help you. And it took a lot of organizing, but it was really, really worthwhile. So where there's, there's a will, there's a way you can still be fun. So I just, yeah, it's certainly doable. I think one of the things from my perspective is it's really created an opportunity so thinking about the geography of, of the area that we work in, and I'm sure that applies to lots of other practices as well, some of our practice meetings when we were hosting them, and thinking in particular about a lamb loss benchmarking meeting that we run, we were running them three times because actually the geographical spread or clusters of our clients, or perhaps they worked with a particular team within our practice, having one generic meeting in the middle of the practice, the fuel miles would have been massive. There would have been no personal touch and actually probably the attendance would have suffered. So we were doing these sort of three meetings, which is pretty exhausting as a vet by the time you got to the end of that week. Actually, what we were able to do with Zoom was bring loads of people together, send them into cluster groups and be a bit deliberate about mixing them up a bit. So actually, you're covering perhaps big geographical areas, lots of people meeting each other. You can still get the friendly feeling, but you're bringing everyone together. So I think probably even in a post-COVID world, there'll be elements of that that will still remain for the better of the service that we offer and the interaction. So see it as an opportunity, I think, would be take home from that yeah no definitely I think we've all had to learn a lot on zoom of how we can do different things whether it's the polls the breakout rooms and trying to be interactive um but geography is a difficult one uh we yeah used to run three different meetings and it's interesting now hopefully as rules lessen whether we go back or try even hybrid meetings so it is an interesting time to try and again take the positives of what we can do and move forward with it um, you just mentioned there about your smallholders group and how you run that slightly differently, knowing that there are groups that are often willing to pay and there's money there. But I think often the services the vets give to them is often quite lacking just because the days are really busy. How do you think we can approach smallholders better or give them a better service? I think firstly to recognise, well, like we all do, they are paying customers and clients at the end of the day that do need a service. It just is that that service looks a little bit different than perhaps we're used to delivering to our big commercial clients, whatever they are. But nonetheless, we can all recognise that there is a demand for that service. I think one of the first things to do is to identify somebody in your practice who's got a genuine enthusiasm for it and a real love, whether that's 
in rare breeds, whether that's in early element, because I think I think it's something you probably can't pretend to do. So really identify that person or people and, and support them. That's probably number one. But assuming that that's the person that's listening to this chat, I think there's lots of different ways you can do it. And the Flock Health Club model perhaps makes it quite accessible for flocks of different sizes. But I think don't underestimate the value you are adding to those clients really with the advice that you're giving because often they're incredibly receptive to it. And I think it's probably we're our own worst enemy in terms of not charging for that properly and and therefore undervaluing us. We're the only people maybe in this discussion that are actually undervaluing the value that we can bring, which is ironic on lots of levels. So do develop services specific for them. Make sure it's sensitive in value, but deliver good value. And then what we found is that they do become incredibly bonded to us. I think one of the things that we found with the service that we deliver to our smallholders, I'm thinking cheap flocks in particular, there are some really easy wins. So for example, if you feel that you're spending, even, you know, whatever membership scheme you, you have, you're spending a lot of time talking about clostridial vaccination, foot trimming in sheep or irrecipitous vaccination in pigs, whatever it is that's specific to you. If all of your colleagues say, we feel like we spend a lot of time on the phone talking about clostridial disease, that's that's your market research to have a meeting about it. There's a fee or, or, or whatever, listen to your colleagues and, and what, what they're talking about in the field, but link it up in the services of the, of the practice that you're delivering. So for example, if you've been to the small flock A four times this week for a, for a cesarean in their sheep because or you've had to go and assist the lambing and you got there and you just pulled it out and are you communicating that to whoever in your practice is responsible for training courses and have you got them on the waiting list for your lambing course next year and is someone going to ring them and say how much you're looking forward to have them on their lambing course I think if you go out of your way to deliver a service I think it can actually be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy not only are you upskilling your clients and they see that you're doing that and they're willing to probably pay and invest in not only themselves but that relationship with you that probably saves you a couple of two in the morning call-outs but actually it's probably also better for animal welfare better for services and if you're being mercenary about it it's probably better for business as well so actually it can be the gift that keeps on giving but if it's not your kettle of fish it's okay to acknowledge that but be the supportive colleague helping and facilitating the colleague that is because um, that's that's the way to get out of it, I think. Yeah, no, it's always good to have a balanced team. And for some people, they love um, sort of doing the training and doing these extras. And for other people, it is their nightmare. But just spreading the message, knowing, I guess, when meetings are on. And I think as you just hinted at, just sharing what is going on in the field so you can then incorporate it into the topic of the meeting it's quite interesting how a lot of people think oh year on year it'll be the same subjects coming up but you can quite easily you know keep bringing up new titles I think one of the things about smallholders, which is often underestimated, our current generation 14 or wherever we're up to now with interns at the practice, we proactively encourage them to go and do smallholder work for two reasons, which shouldn't be underestimated. Firstly, because it's probably um, the first interaction they'll have with health planning. Um, and I think that's quite a nice way of thinking about the production year, but the scale is quite small, so it's a good way to cut your teeth. But secondly, and and don't tell them I said this, 
You will get asked the most in-depth technical questions on a smallholder visit. And rest assured, your audience, uh, for sure, they'll be Dr. Google. But some of them will be reading peer-reviewed papers and will really, really challenge you on some of the things that you're recommending. And actually, from a junior vet perspective, that is a fantastic way to cut your teeth. Like all sheep clients, um, and probably all our clients really, continuity is really important so making sure you get bonded to a new graduate and they stay with them I think is really important to avoid that pillar to post thing I think smallholders they'll really challenge your technical ability um so the gauntlet has been laid down there if um anyone's interested in taking it up so I actually quite enjoy working with them no that is really good um a little bit more perhaps on the sort of background to when you've come up with a topic you know how you're going to run it and maybe we've selected the people is it mainly emails or do you sort of chase people to come or do you pass that on to support staff how does that sort of aspect get covered because that's often a difficult one within the team so I think the biggest mistake is not to do it in enough time so I personally, I think it takes six to eight weeks to organize a meeting. And actually, if you're cutting it a lot finer than that, you probably are going to compromise on some element of it. Making sure you've got all the foundation cogs in order. You've got your, you know, the vets that you or, or support staff that you need are available. Your venue's sorted. If you need sponsorship, that's arranged. I think you need that in sufficient time. I think from an advertising perspective, I think the best thing is probably multiple modalities. Have you got a practice newsletter? If it goes out at the beginning of the month, it's no point putting it in the last newsletter before it goes out and they've got three days notice. You need to be in advance. So I think that they're common slips and trips. So doing all that stuff in advance. There's loads of other things that you can try, whether it's specific flyers, text messages, you name it. I think the single biggest thing that I don't think there's any substitute for is if if meetings on a Monday or Tuesday, end of the week, the week before, their vet ringing them and saying, I really think you should be at this meeting. There's going to be something there for you. Any vet or any support staff will be okay, but there is categorically no substitute for my vet knowing that you, Jim, are really going to get something from that meeting. And I've taken my... 90 seconds of time to ring you to ask you to come to that meeting and and I won't be there but my colleague will be I really don't think you can substitute that so whilst there may be one of your colleagues that is presenting and organizing and driving a meeting it really has to be a team effort behind it and even if you are not going to be at that meeting and you're not going to be present if you want the clients that you are particularly responsible for looking after to benefit from that work you probably need to ring them. Text is okay, but there needs to be a direct point of contact from the person that looks after them the most, I think. That would be my top tip. Yeah, that's a great one. And again, a way of really involving the team in the whole educating the farmers, not just the one person who's interested in doing the meeting. So that's nice to share out the work. Just as one final thing, looking back on your career development, how you've gone through different ways of holding meetings in different groups and hopefully... It will continue to improve in the future. If you were able to tell your new grad self one thing to try and help you quicken your way to where you are now, what would that be? It's a really tricky question. And I, I don't know that there's anything huge in particular or change, which might sound really facetious, but it's more driven by the fact that I really enjoyed it and have loads of really fond memories, I think, looking back. I think things that I wouldn't change, if that's a, a different way of looking at it, 
like try and make them fun that's really really important and I think that that was a good thing to have done I think one of the things I'm trying to do more now is don't forget if you're a wizened meeting or training deliverer in your practice there's a lot of skills that come with that and you've probably learned them because make you know please don't get me wrong my first large flock meeting had two attendees like two people came but from from that I learned I reflected I learned a lot and actually now they look very very different from from that but wasn't without its challenges so I think my challenge now is to get vets who do not have as much experience as me organizing meetings facilitating the the creative side of, of generating them getting them involved now when they're not under pressure to deliver those meetings well not only to bring in their own creative talents and ideas but so that maybe some of the pitfalls that I experience maybe they can dodge dodge some of those so I think getting junior colleagues involved as soon as possible, I think is um, is probably worth. But I'd probably tell me to stress less about it. I might. I'm probably making it sound really effervescent and, and easy. And my colleagues are listening to this. They probably would say, "Yeah, but what about all the chocolate you consumed just before these meetings?" So I think I probably would actually just chill out a little bit more and enjoy it because it's a hugely formative time. Yeah, that's some great feedback there to not worry about it and to involve the team, I think, is is a definite way to, to move forward and improve. The only thing I was going to say is just it's really important that if you've got a message or a service or a meeting or something that you would like people to engage with after the meeting or something you want to instigate or improve on farm so for example maybe you want farmers to participate in a new infectious disease screening program as an example yeah it's really important before you hold the client facing meeting that you have had a vet only meeting first because the day after the meeting if farmer speaks to their own routine vet on the farm peeing cows and goes we went to that meeting last night about this novel disease control scheme yeah and your colleague goes i haven't got a clue what you're talking about not only does that completely undermine all of the good work that was done this evening i think it probably reflects your communication within the team and and i think actually making sure that everybody is ready to hit the ground running as soon as possible after that meeting is only going to be the gift that keeps on giving and potentially counts for CPD points as well. So make sure everybody's upskilled. Thank you for listening. And I hope this has given you some confidence to try something different whilst bringing together education for farmers, whether that be a part of your medicine course or maybe setting up a specific group or discussion group. But please feel free to subscribe to our channels and follow and like us on social media. Also, if you have any other ideas for future podcasts or, in fact, articles for Cattle Quarterly, then please let us know.